and welcome once again to the SFM podcast. I'm John Cole and here we are in lockdown in sunny Glasgow reflecting on the final outcome, if it is final, of SPFL gate or Dundee gate or Gardner gate or whichever epithet you prefer. The facts, and I stress facts, are as follows. The SPFL board last week put forward a resolution asking clubs to vote on ending the season in the Championship, League 1 and League 2, and to cancel promotion and relegation playoffs. This would have the effect of promoting the leading clubs in each division and relegating the clubs at the bottom, with the exception of League 2, where the trailing club would escape because the pyramid playoffs would not be taking place. To pass the resolution, it needed 75% each of the 12 clubs or companies in the Premiership, the 12 clubs in the Championship and the 24 clubs in Leagues 1 and 2. Following the initial accounting of votes received by the SPFL, the resolution was accepted by the Premiership and by Leagues 1 and 2. That left the Championship where a cartel of three clubs, Partick Thistle, Inverness Caledonian Thistle and Dundee, had planned to reject the resolution, thus depriving it of the 75% required in the championship, which would mean, of course, that the resolution would have fallen. Are you falling? Well, it's now that the wheels start to come off the wagon. Dundee's vote was not received by the SPFL for whatever reason, and subsequently Dundee decided to cancel the original not-received vote and to bide their time. Amidst all sorts of calamities, hijacked phone-in programmes, club statements in the very highest of dudgeon, and QC opinions, Dundee appeared to have extracted a compromise from the SPFL which constituted a working group to look at reconstruction of the league's next season and change their vote to a yes, thus allowing clubs below the Premiership to have the end-of-season monies transferred into their bank accounts. <sighs> I've got an old friend of the programme, David Lowe, with me, virtually, of course, uh, to discuss the events of the week and it will, how it will all pan out in the short and medium term. David, would you say that that was a, a, a reasonable representation of last week's events? I, I would say so. I, I would say that's a pretty accurate summary of what happened. A whole lot of uh, smoke, you know, dry ice and, and mirrors, you know, camouflaging what was really quite a straightforward situation. Uh, we find ourselves in the uncharted waters, uh, worrying times, you know, a human tragedy and a financial catastrophe uh, operating hand in hand. Uh, you know, football, professional football is but one small part of that. But for lots of people, you know, it's the, one of the most important things in their lives. Uh, rightly or wrongly, that that's true. And that's why you get all this hysteria. But as you said, or as it's a month, in fact, since we did a podcast off the top of the head, 16th of March. And in that podcast, we basically said that, you know, this, the season is over. The, the virus is serious. There'll be no football for six months. The season is over. Voiding is a nonsense proffered by those with an agenda. And, you know, a month later, you know, what was expected to happen has happened. Albeit in in uh, exciting or uh, complicated circumstances, as is invariably the case with, with Scottish football. But as you said, the, the lower leagues voted it by over the 75% threshold. 
the Premier League likewise. But the, the Championship, which is populated, I think we said in the last podcast, by the overspending wannabes, uh, you know, formed a little cartel or concert party, if you like, of three clubs. And uh, they a- a- attempted to uh, to block uh, the, the proposition or the resolution uh, that would help us move forward. And they very nearly succeeded in doing so. Uh, an awful lot of nonsense talked, a lot, an awful lot of hypocrisy of the worst kind. Uh, you know, full concern for the affairs of other clubs when really all it was about was hearts voting to keep themselves in the, in, in the, the league when they would have probably almost certainly voted in favour of the resolution if they weren't bottom. And likewise, the three clubs in the championship would have voted yes almost certainly if they weren't in the situation that they found themselves. Then Rangers, you know, I don't know why they were against it other than the, the, the one reasons that you can speculate about. But at the end of the day, it's gone through. It's gone through legitimately. There never was a one-size-fits-all solution. There were always going to be casualties. But what we said in the last podcast was we start to look forward. Before we can look forward, we have to end where we are. So this season is over and the planning you know, has to start for uh, the season 2020-2021, whenever that start is. There have been accusations from many quarters of bullying by the SPFL board, bullying members to coerce them to, to vote in the, the way that they, that they wanted the vote to go. Do, do you think that that's, that, that that's a reasonable position to take for the SPFL board uh, to present the resolution in a, in, in, in a way that said, you know, if you don't agree with ending the season and accepting promotion and relegation, that you don't get your money? There's never been a vote anywhere on anything whereby a board of directors uh, is not seriously required to make a a recommendation. It's the duty of a board, for goodness sake, to make recommendations to the people with votes having taken professional advice. And that's what the SPFL board did. It took advice, both in respect of the existing rules and the situation that the game found itself in, a number of clubs completely broke, requiring money and having taken that advice, it put out the resolution for approval by the 42 clubs with 25 pages of uh, backup rationale. So it was all pucker. It was all done professionally. and uh, Nobody can seriously question legitimately uh, the way it was handled. Uh, it's normal to politic in a vote. Everybody's heard of three-line whips shareholders on a resolution. Uh, bullying is just an uh, inappropriate uh, word to use in this circumstance. Don't accept that at all. Nonsense. Do you not think, though, that nevertheless, that it, the, the whole proposition was a bit insensitive towards clubs like Hearts, Partick Thistle, Strindrar? Because although it was it was looking to reward clubs who were at the top of each of those divisions that were involved, and subsequently probably as well in the Premiership, it was punishing other clubs who could have escaped relegation. I mean, I, I, I think in particular I probably feel sorry for Partick Thistle in that regard. Yeah, but you've got to look at the backdrop 
the backdrop here is financial meltdown. This is the context in which the, the vote takes place. Financial meltdown, clubs, businesses with zero income and fixed high costs, clubs going bust unless money is released. Money can only be released within the parameters that the rules and the regulations allow. That is the backdrop to which this emergency situation has been addressed. And the backdrop is very relevant. So that's so you the first think- thing. So a vote has to take place, sorry, John, but there is no one-size-fits-all solution. There is always going to be casualties. What's particularly objectionable is the clubs that voted against, and I'm specifically talking about uh, Hearts, Dundee, Inverness, and Partick Thistle, this faux pretend concern for the welfare of others, which is not true. It was about the welfare of themselves which is entirely understandable. But if they weren't in that position, they would almost certainly have voted differently. The full concern is objectionable. That's one of the things that should be understood by all. Does that mean that you are against, or do you think that it's inadvisable to, to even look at reconstruction? I never, I never said that at all. I think the, the, the backdrop is survival. So what, uh, and, and the duration of the, the virus, the absence of a vaccine, it basically means there's not going to be any football, you know, for, well, the SFA, SPFL think it's August. I think that's ambitious. But whether it's August or whether it's January uh, 2021, basically you have a situation whereby all 42 members have next to no income coming in and very many of them have players on, you know, two, three, four, five-year contracts, fixed contracts, that can't be binned or can't be easily binned. Mm-hmm. So that that's the backdrop. You can't you can't uh, uh, dismiss or or, or uh, dilute uh, the significance of the situation that all these clubs find themselves in. The starting point is to, is to deal with the season that's ended and that's been done, uh, and then a debate takes place about what should happen in the season 2021 whenever it starts. But the thing you've got to bear in mind when you start talking about uh, league reconstruction and uh, you know moving the deck chairs around on the, the 42 uh, club Titanic is what clubs are going to be around. And, you know, if you make it a 14 club a team a Premier League, just for example, you have to you know have be pretty sure there's going to be 14 teams finishing the season, for example. And then how do you accommodate uh, all the all the games, all the tournaments in a, on a, in a constricted period of time? There's lots and lots of issues uh, to be addressed. And guess what? They can only be addressed now that the season has ended. So that's, that, that's progress. But no, I, I, I never said that the reconstruction's uh, a bad thing. I think there has to be re- reconstruction and, uh, going forward. Do you think it's also reasonable, I think you alluded to it there, that that even if there is a plan for reconstruction, that there's still a a damn good chance that you could have uh, your three uh, groups of 14 or your three divisions of 14, and by the time the season gets underway, whenever that is, uh, that there are a couple of holes to fill? Well, well, that's what I've just said. This is is a, a very difficult financial situation, and I think we said in the last podcast, 
you know, that metaphorically half of the leagues are relatively immune from this because they can spin in a sixpence because it's usually the same teams to all intents and purposes that populate the lower two leagues. So they should be relatively okay. But, you know, the risk exists in, in the top two leagues. And uh, although Celtic are, are the... Uh, are the most financially strong, you know, with uh, you know thirty, forty million pounds in the bank. They also have the furthest to fall. All the clubs, uh, you know, on a sim- share the similar predicament. They all have to uh, have a league to play in, and they all have to have a business model and a business plan uh, that is capable of demonstrating to the football authorities that they are capable of finishing the season. This is the case, remember, even in the absence of the virus, every club is supposed to put in their business plan and their cash flow by the 31st of March for the season that starts you know, later in the year. And this is because the SPFL stroke SFA has to have some degree of comfort that a club is not going to go bust mid-season. So... Uh, that principle, although I think the 31st of March uh, deadline has almost certainly been extended, although not stated in public, that principle is even more appropriate now in that there is a bigger financial question mark over the survival of more clubs. So one of the, the, the things to take into account is the solvency of the people that want to be in any expanded league and the amount of time that they've got to play the amount of games in that league. So it's quite, it's quite complicated, and uh, and uh, that's clearly what's going to happen because that's clearly a concession made to a Dundee football club when they very surprisingly found themselves in a very strong negotiating position because their vote got lost in the electronic post. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, uh, although there's a, there's a deal of scepticism about that, as, as you know, but where football is involved, conspiracy theories are, are never all that far away. Uh, and and I, I have to be honest that, that it, it did look to me as if the, the whole proposition, as a conspiracy theorist uh, would have it, seemed to be getting at Hearts and Partick Thistle and Stranraer. It seemed to, I mean, I think if I was a, a Hearts supporter or a Thistle supporter, I might have thought these guys have definitely got it in for us. No, who's got it in for who? I mean, who, who's got it in for Hearts and why would they have it in for Hearts? And ditto for the other, the, the other clubs. There is no one-size-fits-all solution. That's, you know, so you can't please all the people all the time. Uh, they just happen to be at the, at the bottom of the league and the tail can't wag the dog. You know, you have, it's the betterment of the league. It's the sustenance of the league. The maintenance of the league is, is the most important thing of all. And it's very un- unfortunate for the teams that are at, at the bottom. But that's just the way it is. You can't say, I mean, somebody had it in ha, ha, ha. Like, like, let's do Hearts down or let's do Thistle down. You know, Thistle's, you know, my local team. I've actually got a small share, shareholding in it. It's a very good club, but life's not fair, you know. Well, in, in, indeed, and uh, and I think we've seen countless examples of that over the years as well. But but to, to, to get back to the reality of the situation now, there's now been a, a new committee set up, headed by Anne Budge, ironically, to uh, to look at the possibilities for reconstruction. So obviously, it would appear to me that from what you're saying, uh, that this uh, uh, solvency exercise that the SPFL does every year 
will feed into uh, to that process to a large extent as well. And and uh, both the, the people who are involved in the insolvency exercise and Anne Budgie's group uh, are going to be, you would think, working hand in hand. But assuming that they, that they find uh, a solution which uh, includes reconstruction of whatever nature, where do we go from here? Because when when is football going to start? Is is, is it possible that uh, that it might have to start behind closed doors, uh, while some uh, of the uh, the social distancing restrictions are relaxed, but others aren't? Well, I mean that's a question that everybody will be asking. When's it going to start? You know, everybody's suffering football withdrawal symptoms already, and mm. and uh, it's it's. it's question everybody's asking so it's it's a difficult one I, I, everybody's now talking about behind closed doors games I think behind closed doors games are, are, are very difficult as well I mean I subscribe to the, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the four big leagues there are talking about hold, trying to hold games in Indian reservations or on islands and on <laughs> the Bahamas you know because there's yeah. so much money at stake and at the end of the day, are you going to isolate players and all the, the other people responsible for putting on a game? All the officials, all the linesmen, all the cleaners, all, all the all, all the, the ground staff. Everybody is. It's a major exercise. Are you going to isolate them? You know, for a whole season. What happens? Are, are the players going to put up with that? Are the players going to be uh, uh, taken away from their families? Uh, you know, for prolonged periods. Are they? Are they going to leave and come back and have to get tested? You know, it's not as easy as it sounds to put games on uh, behind closed doors and there's no solution in the States uh, yet and uh, and I don't think there's any solution here. So I'm sceptical about there being behind closed doors games and I think there's a, this shutdown could, could last for the rest of the year um, in, into 2021. I think that's that's a factor that has to be discussed. Uh, that's a variable that nobody has, has the answer to. Mm-hmm. And the other factor in terms of solvency is you've got to take into account is you know there's a whole bunch of families you, you know that go to support their team. Are they going to hibernate in their house you know, metaphorically for two months, three months, and then go out and risk it all by sitting next to? You know, people in a crowded uh, arena uh, and risk getting the the, the virus. Uh, I don't think uh, a significant proportion of people will be prepared to do that. So that's got to be taken into account. Business models, uh, fans that until there's a virus, determine that they're not going to go to the ground, and that obviously means there's going to be less season ticket sales and gate sales and money. So putting together a business model is maybe the starting point. Uh, how many fans can be realistically expected to go uh, to games over the course of a season, whenever that season starts? Uh, are your highest cost uh, items, your players, going to take uh, wage cuts to compensate for the reduced revenues? Uh, and I mean cuts rather than deferments. A deferment is a deferment. It just it builds up a liability uh, and it affects the viability of, you know, of a club. So I don't think deferments work. It has to be cuts because it's a new model, a new, a new environment. So all of these issues 
have to wind their way through these reconstruction uh, discussions and within the context of not knowing when it's all going to resume. So I don't think that sounds straightforward to me at all. So uh, good, good luck and budge with that one. <laughs> but but you, you, you also did a wee uh, poll on Twitter, didn't you, about uh, what people's intentions were in terms of season books next year, um, you know, whether they would buy them and go to the games or buy them and not go to the games or just not buy them at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that was, yeah, uh, I can't remember, it was a couple of thousand replies, I can't remember what it was. And basically that one panned out that basically two-thirds of respondents would uh, buy a season ticket and buy a season ticket either and go or buy a season ticket to support your club and not go. But it's still yeah. two-thirds rather than the whole. So that, yeah. that means a third won't. Now, it's just a daft wee poll, you know, but I think it's a daft wee poll uh, that's pretty close to the reality of the situation. And that is a given number of people, for the reasons we've just articulated, are not going to go to games. So that's got to be factored in. Uh, to uh, the financial equation. But the, the big one, the big elephant in the room is your player on a three-year contract that the club now simply can't afford to pay. The big elephant in the room are your huge loan players you know, on big premier wages. You know, Rangers have got two. I think they have Defoe and Hadji, although he's not, I can't remember, he's from Genk or somewhere. Celtic have got Foster, and who's the other one? El Yunusi. Yeah, you know, these are on strong and big wages, you know, that Celtic pay a proportion of. You know, these are big calls that have to be addressed as well. And then the same principle percolates, say, down the, the financial uh, league, league table. So, yeah. you know, what I think I'm demonstrating here and talking to you is that, you know, the whole thing's pretty complicated, and there's no expert sitting in a big chair somewhere that knows what the answers are. That's not to stop lots of people having lots of opinions. I've got lots of opinions, but I don't claim to be right. But the agents will be hard at work in terms of the players, won't they? Because they know that players have been asked to take uh, maybe 50% pay cuts. And 50% of uh, 20 grand a week uh, is not as uh, nearly as enticing as 50% of 30 grand a week somewhere else if it's, if it's possible to move on. Well, yeah, but I mean, again, these are uncharted seas, as, as we said earlier in, in this podcast, uh, and there's never been a situation like this before. I mean, in 2012, when Rangers were liquidated, you know, I think it was five players knew that when they didn't pour over to the new club, you know, they had berths to go to elsewhere, and they could carry their economic value, their transfer fee into a rolled-up wage another club in the premiership, i.e., you know, you will move if you know there's a demand for your your, your your services. This time, though, it's completely different. You, you, If a player is faced with a 50% wage cut, eh, there's going to be a very limited uh, number of places you can move to. So it's a bear market for football players, put it that way. Uh, it's a bear market, you know, for transfer fees, in fact, it's a bear market for everything in and around the football space. Crowds are down, money's down, transfer fees will go down, players' salaries will go down, everything will go down. Maybe there'll be resistance or value, more value maintained at the, the, the top of the food chain, but certainly the further down you go, uh, the more 
of a difficult situation that it becomes for a player if he doesn't want to accept a wage cut. But perhaps a, a frivolous tangent, but but it, it it does seem to me that that if you if you apply the 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 model that you've just suggested, uh, that it may well be that uh, we're going to have a, a a more level playing field in terms of personnel, which might the silver lining to this particular cloud give us even a more competitive league next year if if we get up and running. No, I, again within the, the Scottish Premier League, if you stick to that league, you know, you've got three categories. To oversimplify three categories, you've got your clubs, you know, that are big clubs but not the biggest. That's your Hibs and your Hearts, your Aberdeens. Then you get your smaller clubs. Historically, you've had Celtic and Rangers, but Celtic are financially even a lot bigger than than Rangers now. But it's they're they're in three distinct segments. If you want want to keep it simple, and There'll be a much of a muchness, I think, between most of the league. But I think Celtic will still have more money than everybody. So that still gives them an economic advantage. But the problem is, if a player is on a certain amount of money and that club simply can't afford to pay for him anymore. The reason why the club can't afford to pay for him anymore is because of this virus thing you know, the revenues have gone down and the revenues have gone down because people are not going to the grounds as much because they're scared of, for, for health reasons or they're not buying a season ticket. So what was affordable pre-virus is no longer affordable post-virus. But that player's got a three-year contract. So that player is still the guy that's going to make the choice. So the club goes to the player, look, we can't afford you anymore. It's this virus thing, you know, sorry, you know, but uh, we're, all, we're all in this together. At the end of the day, that player can do uh, two things. He can go, I'm sorry, I've got a contract. I'm sticking it out. Uh, well, he's ultimately you know, going to bust the club then, so that's not very sensible. Uh, or he can agree you know, to the cut and ask for a transfer fee or not ask for a transfer fee. But basically, if the player doesn't take the cut, you know, the, he's putting... Uh, uh, the club that he works for at risk. And of course, if that club, this is the key point, unless they've changed the rules, I have to say, and maybe they will, if that club you know, goes bust and tries to reinvent itself uh, through an administration, the debt, the footballer, is a football debt that carries forward to the new club. So, i.e., you don't get out of a big contract because uh, it carries forward. And then uh, the other thing that's to be taken into account, and I'll just you know, a loan player or a player you've bought and you're paying on the on, on the drip, you know Ryan Kent for example, you know he you know Rangers didn't buy him for seven million up front, you know these transfer instalments uh, have still to be paid uh, to the club that they bought them off in this instance Liverpool, you know in the interest of fairness Celtic will be like that as well that Celtic have got the you know a lot of money in the bank. But that, that's the two type of football debts that can't disappear with an insolvency event, you know, a player's contract and a transfer fee. If any, if anybody was thinking of, you know, reinventing themselves as a, via a, an administration. So all of these issues come to bear uh, ultimately on any reconstruction talks. But it, it seems from from what you've been saying is that 
the, the amount of money that's available uh, for the end of season prize money, uh, which is probably not as much as people thought it was. Everybody thought it was a big pot of 25 million quid, which it wasn't. And money that's available for small to medium-sized businesses from the government are absolutely not going to be able to to pay for uh, uh, the, the solvency of clubs moving forward. So when are we likely to start to see clubs uh, being in, in serious distress? No, it's it's like and as we said this in the last podcast, football clubs are businesses like all the other businesses in, in, in the UK, and they're no different from households. Your ability to see this through, see this uh, predicament through, is entirely predicated on your cash balance. Cash is king. If you have cash or access to cash, uh, your immunity. Uh, to these financial problems, uh, it rises. Uh, if you have no cash or no access to cash, you're seriously exposed to the situation that you find yourself in. So clubs invariably operate in the financial edge. There's going to be a lot of clubs in, in the top two leagues in trouble unless they have access to cash. And what we're really talking about here is rich owners. Because banks don't let into football clubs. Football clubs technically, uh, you know, could uh, apply for these business interruption loans, uh, which the government uh, guarantees eighty percent of. Maybe some will do that, uh, but to all intents and purposes, uh, if you don't have any money, uh, you have to rely upon your owners putting in the money or getting the money from somewhere else. So it's a tough one. Bit ghoulish, perhaps, but how many clubs do you think uh, we might lose as a consequence of this, given what, what we know at the moment? Well, you know, Scottish football, indeed, British football is very resilient. You know, the, it's a wonder so many people buy a football club in the, in the first place, but it's very difficult to tell. I mean, there's a lot of uh, wealthy people. Uh, in Scottish football, uh, you know, Aberdeen's very well run. I think they had a capital injection, two million quid relatively recently. Uh, the, the guy that owns Hibs, uh, Ron Gordon, uh, yeah, he seems to know what he's doing. Uh, it's really, this is the testing time for the people that own these clubs because they're going to have to pony up with some dough they didn't expect to be having to uh, come up with. It's impossible to tell, uh, but there's bound to be casualties. I, I can't see there not being a casualty. Quantified? And, no, I'm not. No. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm not doing that. Sorry. So it'd be fair then to say that the the survival of a lot of clubs is basically down to the largesse of the people who own them. I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's obvious. I mean, if you did, uh, you know, pro forma balance sheet of the Scottish Premier League, you wouldn't see, aside from Celtic, you wouldn't see a lot of cash in it. You know, they tend to spend what they've got. Uh, so they're going to have to. It's like a household. You know, if you if suddenly you've lost your job or you're, and, and suddenly you've got no income, you still have to pay your mortgage. You still have to buy food. You still have to pay for your utilities. You still have to do all that. 
Now, you can afford to do that, but in so doing, if you've got money in the bank, you take it out of the bank and you run the money down and you basically calculate, well, I can only put up with this for six months after six months, and money runs out. Well, football clubs are the same. I mean, somebody on social media did the calculation for Celtic. He showed that Celtic had six months' money uh, uh, to, to run through. So uh, football clubs are no different. If you get money in the bank or access to money, you can uh, sustain losses, but only for a finite period of time. Eventually, your money will run out. So in, given that this virus... Uh, uh, the vaccine is not expected to be available for one to two years. It, if you were being prudent, you would take a prudent view on uh, how long these uh, financial austere times are going to last for. You wouldn't really assume hey, we're going to be back playing football in August, like the SFB says. You would assume something like, Christ, this could last, excuse, excuse the blasphemy, this could last for a uh, uh, a year, and you would budget on that basis. And if it started early, that would be a bonus. I think that's what you've got to do. And remember, I think that's what the, the football authorities will do because their season, if football starts in August and runs to, to say, uh, June for the sake of a, a date, you have to have a business plan uh, that is believable that lasts till, uh, till uh, June 2021. And that has to be based on a realistically a realistic revenue uh, forecast and um, perhaps running at two thirds of last year's numbers uh, and it has to accommodate some uh, salary cuts squad sizes you know uh, squad wages uh, you have to build all that into the forecast and see what the number comes out like and if there's a shortfall you, know, you have to provide some sort of a guarantee that that shortfall will be made up by uh, directors or other 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 persons. But basically, you can't have a team going bust half. Well, you can have a team going bust half, halfway through through a league, uh, uh, but uh, it's, it's not good. It happened in basketball. Uh, I almost said last season. It is last season, but basket UK basketballs. Uh, saying that the season isn't over, uh, a team went bust, and all the other teams that they played get awarded uh, a certain number of points. I should know how many, but I can't can't remember. So, it, but it's not a good thing, you know, for a, a member of a league to go bust mid-season. And bust means cease to play. It doesn't mean going to man- administration and be uh, be managed by uh, an insolvency uh, expert. It means cease to play their Larnock style, go out of business. Uh, you know, that's got to be a, a situation that, uh, of concern uh, when you're looking at reconstruction. This, this, this is the point that we, we are talking The reason why we're talking about this at length is because it just shows you how complicated the, the whole subject of uh, reconstruction is. It's not just to expand the league, to expand the league to fourteen teams. You know. Yeah. Well, David, as ever, a pleasure to uh, to chat, and hopefully uh, we could do this again in a couple of weeks, where perhaps with a bit of luck, the outlook will be a bit more optimistic. Okay. Stay safe, everybody. Okay. Thanks to David for giving us his time and his thoughts today. 
We are conscious here at SFM that there is another side to the story, the side that sees the SPFL's role in this affair as being less than adequate, to put it mildly. To that end, we'll be doing another podcast tomorrow with Andy Smith, the chairman of the Scottish Football Supporters Association. I think it's fair to say that he'll take a different view of the SPFL, but it may also be interesting to see if his analysis of the situation facing clubs is significantly different from that of David Lowe. For now, this is me, John Cole, saying thanks for listening and stay safe. See you tomorrow.